You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today on the show... I'm going to wrap up the 2021 Georgia tennis season. All of you who have listened to the podcast for a while now, you know that it is viscerally painful for me to relive any of our misfortunes for any of our programs. I mean, especially with football, right? Like with the football game recap episodes after losses, those are legitimately excruciating experiences for me. We don't lose that often these days, which is great because I don't know if I can handle it that much anymore. So I I don't want to go through all that often. But man, after a loss, when it does happen, the last thing I want to do is get on here and relive every agonizing detail. It, It takes a little bit of my soul every time I have to do one of those recap episodes after a loss. So certainly not exactly fun for me. And I say that to say... I don't want to be recording this episode right now because in case you missed it, both the men and women's tennis teams fell in the Elite Eight of the NCAA Tennis Tournament this past week. I had high hopes, man. I really did. I had high hopes for a national title this season, especially on the women's side as loaded as we were, as strong as we were up and down the lineup. But those hopes are now officially dashed. They're done. But for better or worse, After a full season of covering both teams on this podcast, I felt I owed it to all of you who have been following along with us to finish the drill, as good old Mark Rick used to say back in the day, right? But before we get into that painful exercise, I do just want to take a quick moment here to thank all of you who have followed along with us as we have incorporated Georgia tennis into our podcast coverage on a on a more consistent basis this season. We've talked about it in the past, but nothing remotely resembling any, any sort of consistency or regularity. And we, we really tried to focus on that. It was a goal of ours this offseason. And you guys know, I've said this before on the show, Like we've been fans, Charlie, Curtis, myself, we've been fans for a long time. And we've gone to every home match for for years now, all of that stuff. But I also recognize that that's probably not the norm. I recognize that college tennis is a fringe sport. I think it's safe to say, right? It's a fringe sport. It's certainly not mainstream. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, just think about the SEC Network, for example. The SEC Network, which is dedicated 
to SEC athletics, right? Covering SEC sports. And they cover like every single sport out there. Think about gymnastics. During the gymnastics season, every Friday is like SEC gymnastics, right? Which is good. That's great for them. That's awesome. I love that they get that exposure. You get volleyball and you get track, you get softball, all those sports that I think are certainly on some level fringe sports in their own right. But even those sports get far more coverage on, on even the SEC network than tennis does, which is a conversation for another day. I understand that's hard to broadcast six singles matches going at the same time. And that's tough. I think there's ways around that. It, it's a source of frustration for me. Let's just say that. But that's a conversation for another day. But back to the point, I get that college tennis is a fringe sport. But I would contend, as I've said before, that college tennis is a hidden gem in the collegiate athletics landscape. And those of you who have gone to matches before or even just watched along online, you can back me up on that. I mean, really, it takes one match, really, honestly, because that's, that's what I did. For, that's what it was for me. It took one match, one match, and I was completely hooked. And everyone that I've talked to that's kind of got into tennis late in life, it was kind of the same story for them. You can back me up on that. So I just want to say thank you for indulging us as we've given the tennis teams here in Athens the love that we think they deserve. And it's been really awesome to hear from some of you throughout the season. It really has uh, just about how we've actually helped inspire some of you to get into Georgia tennis, which is, which that's awesome. And that's so awesome. And, and that's certainly been part of the goal with these tennis episodes and our tennis talk segments within other episodes. Our first goal really was to kick, give kind of those hardcore Georgia tennis fans out there. And I know, again, it might be a French sport, but there, trust me, there are actual hardcore Georgia tennis fans. They're out there. And it's always kind of hard to find good tennis coverage, good Georgia tennis coverage. So we wanted to do like whatever we could to kind of help people get more information on what's going on around the program. And don't get me wrong, we don't have all the information. We don't have all the answers. But I think we do have access to more information around some of the the other programs around campus like tennis than somebody who doesn't live in Athens just by virtue of of being here in town and knowing a few people and just kind of hearing what's going on. So that was kind of the first goal is just kind of put that information out there and make sure people who do care about Georgia tennis have a chance to kind of find some coverage of their sport you know, somewhere out there. And the second goal was to, to uh, introduce more of you guys to, again, what I consider to be one of the best-kept secrets in college sports. I think the best-kept secret in college sports. I think if it got more coverage, I think more people will be into it. But I, I know that we've at least got some of you into it, and that's good enough for me. I know we're just a, a mom-and-pop podcast or nothing special but hey, if we can get a couple of you guys in, into these matches and get out there and take your family and spread the word, then I think that's a good thing. So uh, I've, I've had a lot of fun covering Georgia tennis this offseason. Actually, I've, I've loved every second of it because I, I do this. I mean, just I follow the team like this every season. To be, so to be able to share it with you guys was a lot of fun for me. But anyway, let's get to the unpleasant task of recapping what went wrong last week in the Elite Eight. And uh, ladies first, right? Let's start with the ladies. We were playing number six NC State. Just to remind you, we were the four seed coming into the tournament, and NC State was the six seed. So this was, I don't know if you want to say an evenly matched matchup, but NC State, as I told you guys, after the Sweet 16 victory over Virginia, NC State was absolutely good enough to beat us if we did not have our A game. And that's exactly what I said. If we didn't have our A game, they are good enough to beat us. And that's pretty much what happened. And it started with a doubles point. We lost that point. So it's obviously it's going to be an uphill battle. I told you guys coming in, coming into the NCAA tournament, I told you after last week, the doubles point's always important in every match. 
no matter what time of the season. But when you get this deep in the NCAA tournament, the doubles point just takes on so much more importance, even more critical than it is on any given match because all those teams are so good and so so deep in their singles lineups that's really tough if you lose that doubles point to find a way to battle back and win four out of six singles matchups against a, an elite eight caliber team. It's just really tough. So that was that was the first bad omen. It's like, oh my God, we lost the doubles point. Okay, all right, here we go. Let's, just, well, let's get to work in singles, right? And, and it's not that NC State was the better team. I, I think if, like if we play that, and this is not how it works, but if we played NC State 10 times, I think we beat them six or seven times. I, I think that's the case. I think we are the more talented team or we're the more talented team, but that doesn't that's not how things work. They were just better on that day. And that's really all that matters. You don't have to be the better, the overall better team. You should be better on that day, right? You see it in college football. You see it in college basketball. You see it in college tennis. You just got to be better that day. That upsets happen. And that's why single elimination tournaments can be heart stoppers. Because even though you might be like the better team throughout the entire season, I mean, NC State, I think they had six or seven losses coming to that match. Now, ACC is really tough. We had one loss. I think we were the better team. I think when you watch the teams play, I think we had better players up and down the lineup but it just didn't work out that way for us. The margins are just always so small in college tennis because everybody is good, especially when you get this late. But they just become razor thin when you get this deep in the tournament. So uh, let's get to the matches here. So the feature match of the day was again on court one where Katarina Jokigar, top singles player, one of the best players, if not the best player in Georgia tennis, women's tennis history. I, I don't go all the way back to like the 80s and whatnot, but certainly since I've been watching, um, no doubt about it, Kat's the best player I've seen. I've said that many times on, on this podcast. Men's or women, she's the most talented player that I have seen. And I got, I mean, she, at the very least, we can say that she's an all-time great Georgia women's tennis player. So she came in ranked number four in singles. She was taking on number six, Anna Rogers, which was her second top six opponent in as many matches. And this one was a bloodbath. She had Emma Navarro, who was number three for Virginia. She had her beaten. She was she beat her. Uh, she, t- she took the first set six four. It was up five four, serving for that match against Navarro in uh, the Sweet Sixteen, and got broken there. And uh, it got sent into a third set. Cat was up two breaks in the third set. She was going to win, but Leah clinched before Cat could finish her match. Cat was going to win that match, but she didn't actually get to finish it. This time, Cat made no mistake about this one. She just absolutely destroyed Rogers. She ate her alive, 6-2, 6-2, in what felt like an hour tops, man. Like, it was like a very quick match. Kat just made very quick work of her. And the Katarina Jokic experience was on gloriously full display in this match. I mean, Rogers is a really good player, but she couldn't handle. She just could not handle that legendary Katarina backhand. But it was more than just that. I mean, everything, like everything in Kat's arsenal was just, just on fire in this match. The pace was there with her shots, like it always is. But she was placing balls wherever she wanted. She was moving Rodgers around the court, staying on the offensive pretty much the entire match. It was just a very fitting way uh, for Kat to finish her dual match career because she was just so dominant, as she has been essentially from day one. I mean, this girl's pretty much playing court one for us from like the second she stepped foot on campus. She was that good. Um, so it was awesome. That was awesome to see. But as great as that was, it was, it was tough to enjoy in the moment because we immediately fell behind early breaks on courts three, four, and five. So again, you guys know this now. If you've been listening, you have to get, it's the first team to four points. You got six points that are played in singles, six singles matches, and they got that one doubles one. So we already, we entered singles play down 1-0. Cat tied it up at 1-1 pretty much, right? But we get down breaks early on on courts three, four, and five. Meg Kowalski on court three, who's just been so good for us for years now. She really kind of struggled to figure out her opponent in that first set. She ended up losing that first set 6-1. 
And I, I've said this before, I'm, 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 I still consider myself a tennis novice. I'm still very much learning this sport, getting, getting into playing it myself. But with my tennis novice glasses, I, 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 even I could tell she was trying different things, probing to find a weakness that she could exploit. And you see, you see players do that you know, in the first set, first couple of games especially. Uh, but she just couldn't quite find the rhythm there in that first set. But honestly, I was really impressed with her opponent, Adriana Riemi. She was really good, and she was the better player that day. She really was. Meg fought back in the second. She really tried to push it to a third set, but she ultimately dropped that one 6-4 after a late break there, giving up a late break. But still, I mean, look, I can't be down on Meg. Good God, I mean, that's, Meg's, that's only Meg's fourth career loss in three seasons. I guess two and a half seasons, if you call the last season, like a half a season because of COVID, obviously. Four losses in, in two and a half seasons. I mean, that, that's crazy. Meg is insanely good, um, but it just wasn't her day there on court three last week. And then shortly shortly after that, very shortly after that, Morgan Coppock on court four went down 6-4, 6-4. Mo has been on fire for us, uh, certainly entering the Sweet 16 in, in this Elite Eight turn, section of the tournament down in Orlando. But this is a prime example of what I was talking about earlier with the small margins of college tennis. I think Mo is every bit as good as her opponent, but I mean, 6-4, 6-4. It's just one shot here, one shot there. You get you get down one break and you don't get it back and, and you end up losing. I think she was every bit as good, but again, this one day, this one match just wasn't quite good enough and fell on court four. So now we're really, we're really in a bad spot right now, right? So that put the score at three ones. We lost a doubles point. Meg loses on three. Mo loses on four. We get Cat on one. So now we're down three one. And basically we have to win every single remaining match. And Leah Ma on court two, man, for, for the second straight match, she was playing a, an opponent who was ranked significantly higher than she is. I mean, Leah's only ranked number 55 right now, but Leah's, she's much better than that. And she's playing much better than that right now. She's playing the best tennis of her Georgia, her short Georgia career right now. She's playing lights out. She's actually in the singles tournament right now. It's got a match against the number one player in the country, Sarah Davatia. I think how you pronounce it, from North Carolina. And like, Leah's, you know, not the favorite. I mean, Davatia should probably win that match. But Leah, man, Leah's good enough. Leah's good enough to win that match. And she's playing really, really well right now. Um, and she's playing outstanding tennis last Wednesday in, in this matchup. Uh, she was on court two. She won the first set 7-5 against a top 25 opponent. She did drop the second set 6-4. I thought she was going to get that one. She dropped it 6-4. But I think she was better. Just watching that matchup, I was sitting there just watching. I was like, Leah's better. Leah is better. And I think she would have found a way to win in that third set. Again, I just want to give another shout out to Leah. I mean, I, she's really, she's she's been so talented since the day she stepped, stepped foot on campus. But she's really kind of, pushing to overdrive here the past month or, so, month or so. I think she's playing the best tennis of her career. I'm seeing a new level of intensity and focus from her. You see a little bit of passion, which has not always been her thing, at least not like outward passion. You're seeing a little bit more. You see the fist pump here. You're seeing a, a yell here or there. And you just like to see that that fire, which not to say she never had it, but she doesn't like always outwardly display that. And you're seeing a little bit more of that. So I'm really excited to see her take those steps. And I'm very excited about how good Leah can be moving forward. I think she can be extraordinarily good for us. So she, I think, was going to win. We can't say for sure, but she was certainly in a pretty good position there. But Elena Kristofi on court six, our fifth-year senior, battle, one of our fifth-year seniors, battled back from an early break in the first to win the first set 7-5 and just ran away with the second. I was actually really concerned about Elena at first. She was actually down 3-5 in the first set. Her opponent was serving for that first set. 
But then Elena, like you expect a fifth-year senior. I guess you, you can say you would expect a fifth-year senior to do it, but I mean, it's tough. But she's just been such a rock for us for years now. And she battled back down 3-5 in the first set and reeled off 10 of the last 12 games in that match to ultimately win her match on court six and make it 3-2, right? So now we got a shot, all right? And I, I do just want to say this about Elena before we move on. I'm going to miss her, man. Like We're obviously all going to miss Katarina Jokic. Just, she's just so good. Her dominance, so you just don't see players that good come through your program that often. So you got you to gotta really enjoy it while you can. But I'm really going to miss players like Elena too. Um, I'm really going to miss her. Like she's She's been such a great player for us, guys. She really, really has. She started off her career as a freshman on court two and dropped throughout her career to court five and then to court six this year. Never complained for a second. Never complained. Just, just a total team player. Just a great player, singles and doubles. And also, I just got to say this, what a representative of the University of Georgia. I mean, she was nominated for NCAA Woman of the Year. She was named the Maryland Vincent Scholar Athlete back in her, I guess, her senior season, which is 2019-2020. And if you don't know what that is, that is the award given to the graduating female senior athlete with the highest GPA. I mean, she's just an outstanding player, outstanding young woman, two-time uh, doubles All-American, and we're absolutely going to miss her. I'm going to miss her. I, I remember I remember the first match that I saw her play. She was playing there on court two as a freshman, and I was like, man, this girl's going to be really good. I really like what she brings to the table, and she's just been so good, so solid for us for so long, and has been just an incredible, incredible representative of this university and our program off the court. So... Shout out to Elena. Definitely going to miss her. My heart was certainly a little bit broken for her after we ended up losing that match in the Elite Eight. But she is the definition of a damn good dog, just like Kat is and just like Marta Gonzalez, who is our other fifth-year senior. Let's talk about Marta here for a second because it was ultimately Marta who would fall in straight sets on court five. But man, did she make it tough. Just like Elena, Marta has been so good for us for so long. Just, I mean, I don't know these players. Like, I don't know them personally. I've never talked to them in my life. I'm not going to sit here and say that I have. But, like, if you've been to a college tennis match, you know, like, what I'm talking about here when I say, like, it's a very intimate setting. You're right there up on the, like, you're right up there on the action. So, you kind of get to know the players or get a feel for the kind of people they are from afar, just watching how they interact with each other, with their coaches, with other players, with people in the stands, the fans, all of that. And Marta's just, like, she's one of those players just always had a smile on her face. Just always a very happy, affable young lady who was an incredibly positive influence on the rest of that team. So we're going to miss Marta, just like we're going to miss Ellen, just like, just like we're going to miss Cab. But in this particular match, she couldn't quite get it done, but man, she did make it tough. She lost the first set 6-3, but she came out swinging in the second set. It was actually serving for the set at 5-4, if I remember correctly. But she got broken on that service, ended up losing in the second set tiebreaker. But she fought so hard in that tiebreaker too, man. You could tell she wanted it. She wanted it so bad. And I thought she had it, man. She fought back, take the 6-5 lead in that second set tiebreak. But she ended up losing the last three points to ultimately drop the tiebreak 8-6 and, of course, the match as well. And that's, again, what I'm talking about here. Yet again, razor-thin margins. That could have gone either way. It just happened to go against us in that match. This one match just happened to not go our way. 
they came up with one more shot here, one more shot there, and, and tip your cap to them. They did what they had to do. But it, it's kind of why college tennis is simultaneously so exciting, but also excruciating at the same time, you know? Because uh, it's it's every point, especially when you get this deep in the tournament, you kind of live or die with it. And when you win it, it's great. But when you lose it, it's just like, oh my God. And yeah, we lost more than we won in this particular match. And it, it, it hurts because I if Marta would have won that set, if she would have won that tiebreak, I think she wins the third. I think she was a better overall player. Just watch the match. I think she was better. And I love the experience that she had going into the third set as a fifth-year senior. I think Lee was going to win on court too. So I think if Marta would have won, I think we would have won the whole match. But it wasn't to be, and our season came to a heartbreaking end. Uh, it's never easy to see a season end, but this one was especially tough because we had those three exceptional seniors. You, you have seniors on every team, but again, this is the first group that I have seen like all the way through from like the start of their career all the way to the end. A couple of fifth-year seniors thrown there with Marta and Elena. So that, that, that was tough. That, that was a little bit of a gut punch. And also on the top of that, like I, I still believe this team was national and championship good. Like We were that good. It just didn't work out, right? The best team does not always win. In this case, you know, we didn't quite have our A game and NC State did. And again, tip your cap to them. They played well and they won the match. They're the better team on that day, but it's still tough. It's still tough to see those three seniors go out like that. But I do want to say again, how much I appreciate them. And it was one hell of a ride, especially the last two and a half years. Over the last two and a half years, guys, I say half years again, because last year was a COVID year, so it got cut in half. But we were 59 and six these last three seasons. 59 and six overall, three SEC titles, a national indoor title, and an NCAA outdoor runner up. That's how good this team's been. And Kat, Elena, Marta were critical, instrumental, foundational pieces to this run. So. Just again, I want to put out there how much I appreciate what they've done for this program, and I will definitely be rooting for them moving forward in whatever it is that they choose to do. I'm pretty sure Kat's going to give it a go in the Pro Tour. She should. Um, I don't know if Martin and Ellen will go that route. We'll see. But whatever they do, they're going to—they're all going to be successful in whatever they do. Uh, I can certainly feel comfortable saying that because they are not just those kind of players, but those kind of young ladies that are just going to be great successes in whatever they do. So I hate that it had to end, but I am excited for what they have moving forward in their future. So that's the women's side of things. And we'll move into the men's here in just a second. But first... You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. 
All right, and that brings us to the men's team who fell to the three seed Tennessee 4-1 on Thursday. But this was one of those matches where the final score didn't tell the whole story. Yeah, on the surface, when you hear the score, you see it 4-1. That sounds like a comfortable kind of ho-hum win for Tennessee. But this was anything but. If you actually watched the match, if you were there, it was anything but that. And if every match was played out, because again, if you guys aren't familiar exactly how this works, I think most of you are, but once the first, once a team reaches four points, it's the first team to four points. Once a team reaches four, if, if other matches are still going on, they just stop. Now, if you can agree to play them out before the match, if coaches want to do that, but that doesn't really happen all that often. So yeah, it ended up being 4-1, but if every match was played out, I think there's a really strong chance this would have been a 4-3 match. It was that close. Again, the margins were that small. But this was kind of the opposite of the women's match. The, the guys actually won the doubles point, and then they won multiple first sets. It started to look a lot like the, the UNC match from the Sweet 16 last Sunday. And like I went into this match knowing that we could win. Like We were the 11 seed, they're the 3 seed, but... You know, they beat us early in the year, 4-2 in Athens, but we were down two of our top four singles players. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you know what? They're probably the favorite here. They probably should be the favorite, but we can absolutely win this match. I knew that they were good. I guess I, the appropriate way to describe how I approach this match would just be kind of cautious optimism. I, I felt good that we had a chance, but I knew Tennessee was really good. So there's a, some cautious optimism there. But I started to feel a little bit. You know, we win the doubles point, and I've talked about how critical that is. And then if you just go into singles after winning that doubles point, get three singles matches. Who cares where it is? It's one, two, six. Who cares? Get those three points. So I started to feel a little bit. We started off pretty hot in singles, and I felt like we had a chance. But that was my mistake. Of course, you know we're going to be the team that wins a doubles point and ends up losing the match when that's been a rarity all throughout the postseason. But we that that's ultimately what ended up happening here. And so, yeah, we win the doubles point. Uh, Phil hitting on court three. He was rolling in the first set, won that one 6-3. Um, he, the second set went into a tie break. It was at 3-3 before things got called. I think Phil had a really good chance to win the match. I thought Phil, he was playing Martin Prada, who's been around for a while at Tennessee. He's a good player. Phil just looked better that day. I think Phil was going to win that match. Can you never know those things. I think he was probably going to win it. Things can take a turn, sure. But he was looking good there. Blake Croyder also won his first set on court 4-6-4. And then Tyler Zink on court 2 was playing one of the better players in the country who just happens to be a freshman. He's insanely good. It's just, God, I'm not happy that Tennessee has this guy. Johannes Monday, he's a, God, he's a really good player, man. He's 6'6", about 185 pounds, soaking wet. He's really tall, really lanky. But he's got a big serve. He's so long. He can get to everything. Like, literally, you, it's hard to get a shot past the guy. Because he's so long, tall, long, lanky, whole nine yards, can hit the ball 100 miles an hour. I mean, the guy's just really, really, really good. But Zink was, he was game, man. And he sent the first set to a tie break. He was actually up most of that first set against Johannes Munda, who's ranked number eight nationally, by the way, as a true freshman, which is crazy. But he ended up dropping the tie break in that first set, 7-3, and then ends up losing the second set, 6-4. He played really, really, really well. I mean, Tyler Zink came to play. But Monday's just that good, man. He's just that good at this point. Zink is really good himself, but he's not quite as good as, as Johannes Monday. I mean, he can beat him on any given day. Sure, Zink's close enough. 
But Monday, man, when he gets things rolling, that guy is really, really good. And then Trent Bride also fought hard on court one against Adam Walton, who's also a top 10 player for Tennessee. Rank number 10. Uh, exactly, actually. Um, and, and Trent had chances, man. He had chances, just like Zink did, to get breaks against those top 10 players, but just couldn't quite close the deal. End up losing 6-4, 6-4. Again, talking about small margins, 6-4, 6-4. I know it's straight sets, but those are pretty small margins there against a top 10 opponent. Just wasn't Trent's day. And both those matches got finished pretty quickly. So wasn't too long in the singles that that lead that we had after the doubles point is now a deficit. We're now down 2-1. And before we move on to the other courts, I just want to stop and, and take stock of where we are in courts one and courts two right now with Trent Bright on court one and Tyler Zink on court two. Both of those guys, Trent and Tyler, are really good players. They're really good. And they have beaten some other really good players. But I think this is what could take our men's team to the next level going into next season. We need both of those guys, Trent and Tyler, to take another step forward because next season, if there's, if there's one thing that we're missing to be a national title type team, is the dominance on courts one and two. We don't have that right now. We don't have dominant court one and court two players. Tyler and Trent are better than we've had on courts one and courts two in a while, to be honest with you, as a tandem. And they're both still young, have a lot of room for improvement. I fully expect them to improve. But we just don't have the kind of that, that one-two punch on courts one and two at the top of your singles lineup like, like Tennessee does or Florida does or even North Carolina. I know we end up being North Carolina, so you're saying why well, that's a bad example. But like North Carolina's one-two punch with Bloomberg and Rinki Hichikata at, at the top of their lineups. I mean, Jesus Christ, those guys are insanely good. Those are dominant court one and court two players. I mean, Rinky from North Carolina could be playing court. He'd be playing court one for about 99% of the teams in America. Bloomberg just happens to be that good. And those of you who were here for the NCAA tournament last time it was in Athens in 2017 when we lost North Carolina in the final four, Bloomberg was a freshman that year. And you probably remember watching him play. He was in, I saw him play as a freshman. I was like, oh my God, this guy's really good, man. He just, uh, he kept getting better and better. He's a really, really good player. And, and, and Trent and Tyler are really good too. They're good enough on any given day to beat the top players, but they're just not quite yet to the point where they are doing that consistently. I believe both those guys have the tools to get there. They just got to go to work this offseason because that's what can take us to the next level. We need both of those guys, or at least one of them, or maybe some of the newcomers coming into the team next year. We need to be more consistently dominant on courts one and two. I, I think that's what's, I don't, it's not holding us back. I think that's what can help us go to the next level. And I think Trent and Tyler can do it. I've seen flashes of it. They just got to be able to do it more consistently. And again, Tyler, I mean, Tyler is technically, he's a freshman. He His first year was last year, but that got cut short. So by COVID rules, he's a true, he's a freshman, but he's really, he's, it's the second year on campus, but still really young, still growing. And, and Trent, uh, he's going to be entering his senior season. It's hard to believe that Trent's been here. Wow. I guess he could come back for another year with a COVID year, but it'll be Trent's fourth year on campus next year, which is hard to believe. But I think we, that's really where we need to, I don't I, again, improve is not the right word. We're really good on courts one and two, but I think if they can take their games to the next level, that takes our team to the next level. So with losses on courts one and two, that meant we needed to take three of the final four singles matches. But after winning the first set, Blake Croyder on court four ended up losing in three sets, four, six, six, two, six, three. Blake is another guy who's really, really talented. He, he's kind of a different type player. Like he's really flexible. 
Um, he can hit some really weird shots, which is kind of how he contorts his body, but like really effective shots, like, like what I call wow shots, where you're just kind of like, wow, how did you do that? Blake is really good, um, and he, he did suffer a back injury in the year, just like Trent did, which set him back a little bit, but he really started to kind of come on late in the season, like you, and he almost playing the level he was before the injury, not quite to that level, because he was playing lights out before the injury, but one thing that I saw from Blake late in the season is that he really gets down on himself at times. Like, I'm not a sports psychologist. Again, I don't know these guys at all, just sitting there and you're just watching. But I watch every single match that they play at home, at least, in these tournaments. And you watch him play, and he does, like, he has clearly has high expectations for himself. And, and this is not uncommon for tennis players where they kind of talk to themselves and then they get down themselves it happens with a lot of players but I think Blake sometimes gets too down himself when he's not playing quite to his expectations for himself and I do think that hurt him in this match I I I, I can't say for sure I don't know but just from my vantage point being there seeing what was happening I kind of got that feel but he ends up losing that match and now our backs are completely against the wall. Now Tennessee is up 3-1 and we got to win our last three singles matches to win this thing. And the Saudi match ultimately ended up being on court six where Eric Gravilius lost in straight sets. Man, it was a tough one because if E could have pulled that one out, I really like Phil's and Billy's chances on courts three and five. Billy was doing what Billy does. Billy Rose has been so good for us to come over from Vanderbilt was the hero of the match against North Carolina. He got off to a little bit of a slow start, which he tends to do from time to time, and lost the first set 6-2, but bounced back with a 6-2 victory of his own in the second set, and was up a break 2-0 in the third set on his way. He was rolling, man. He turned that match around. He was rolling. I think he was going to win. You never know. I think he was going to win. And if Eric would have closed out the second set on court six with that momentum and found a way to win, I think we're going to win that match. And it was it was tough to watch, guys. It, it, it's God, it was tough because Eric was up. He was up five one in the second set. He was up five one in the second set. All he had to do was win one of those services, just one, just one. But it just wasn't meant to be, I guess. Yes, he's serving for the second set at five one. Ends up losing the last six games of the set to lose seven five in the second, and Tennessee wins. Tennessee wins after that. And like I don't want to be hard on Eric because Eric, God, I love Eric. I love watching the guy plays. He's another one of those, like I've talked about before in this off, this season that I love rooting for these guys. I love rooting for our girls. I mean, they're, they're just so easy to cheer for. And Erica's one of those guys. He just seems to be a, a fun-loving kind of guy. Loves his teammates, loves his coaches. Out there, has a good time. And he, he's been a really good player for us. I think he's the best doubles players on the team. And he, he came up big for us against North Carolina in the Sweet 16. We don't win that match against North Carolina in the Sweet 16. We're not even in this match against Tennessee if it's not for how well, how well Eric played against Carolina in the Sweet 16 against a senior. He played with a lot of tennis for North Carolina. So I don't want to put this one on E. It's tough to lose that way when you're up 5-1 in the second set, trying to push it to a third. You're kind of rolling, and all of a sudden you're not. That's tough. But let's also stop and just say that we wouldn't even been in that situation if Eric hadn't played lights out for us last weekend against North Carolina. But it hurt, man. That was, you know, losing happens. I just, I honestly hate that it was Tennessee that we lost to in that spot because I don't like Tennessee, man. Like, like joy, we're Georgia. Like we are, we are that team in the SEC when it comes to tennis. Like we are the tennis blue blood in the SEC, and I don't like it when programs like Tennessee beat us in those spots because. 
that's just not how it's supposed to happen, right? But I have to give them credit. They had a really good team this year. That top 10 one-two punch at the top of their singles lineups, they're really good. And there's no shame in losing them. I just, man, I know 4-1, but I think I think we could have won this match. If Eric would have ended up finding a way to win on court six, and there's a lot of ifs, ands, or buts here. But if Eric would have found a way to win, I really liked how Phil was playing. Billy was rolling in that third set. I think this is a really good argument made that we would have won this match, but we didn't. We didn't. That you know, again, just like we had to tip our cap to NC State, you got to tip your cap to Tennessee. As much as I hate to do that, you got to do it because they played well. And look, Tennessee was probably a better team. They beat us twice this year. They're probably they were the better team. Uh, I guess you have to say. But I think again, talking about small margins, I don't think the margins were that great between those two teams. But regardless, it was a heck of a run. And I'm really proud of how this Georgia men's tennis team rebounded after a slew of injuries and COVID issues caused us to get off to a one and four start in the SEC. We could have just thrown in the towel and given up, guys. A lot of teams would have done that, but not these guys. Not these guys, not this program, not these coaches. They showed heart, they showed resolve and guts all year. And I cannot wait to see what the future has in store for them. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And speaking of the future, I don't want this episode to be like a 100% complete downer like it has been to this point. I want to leave you with some optimism. We all need a little of that in our lives, right? Right? I know I do. So let's talk about how bright the future is for both of these Georgia tennis programs. And let's stick with the guys here for a couple of minutes. So let's look at what we're bringing in next year, all right? So we're bringing in two transfers. We're bringing in a guy from Notre Dame. His name is Tristan McCormick, who's... Has a reputation as a really good doubles player. He's a top, his, the doubles team he was on this year for Notre Dame was a top 20 team for most of the year. So he's got a lot of experience. Kind of like Billy Rowe. Reminds me a lot like Billy Rowe coming in as a grad transfer with a lot of experience, a lot of talent, play a lot of tennis, and can really kind of be, bring up even an additional veteran presence to what will be a very veteran team next year. And then you also have another transfer coming in from Tulane. A guy named Hamish Stewart who played court one singles for Tulane this year will be a great addition to our team. We'll certainly push for a spot at the top of the singles lineup, whether it's court one, court two, wherever that might be. He'll push for that. He was ranked for most of the season inside the top 30 in singles. I think in the final rings, he was number 34 nationally. And he did actually earn himself a bid to the NCAA singles tournament. That is going on right now, actually. So he's going to be a great addition to this team. And then we've got a couple of incoming freshmen. A guy named Thomas Paulsell from Seattle. who's actually on the team right now. He was an early enrollee. He was here for pretty much the entire outdoor season. He enrolled in January. And he was number seven nationally in the recruiting rankings this year. So he's a five-star blue chip prospect. He's a career high number two ranking in the USTA, USTA boy 16 and under rankings. And career high number four in the 18 and under rankings. 
again, already on campus. I have not seen him play at all, to be honest. So I can't really speak on how, like, exactly what his game is like. I haven't even seen the guy warm up. I don't know exactly why, maybe because we didn't have enough players to, like, hit with him. Because uh, you kind of have even numbers have players hitting with each other when they warm up, usually with the doubles lineups. And then you have your guys who aren't going to be in the lineup kind of hitting with each other. So he was kind of always off to the side, just watching everyone else hit. I'd, I'd never quite figure out exactly what was going on there. But he comes in as a highly ranked player with a great reputation, and he'll be right in the thick of things to be in the singles and doubles lineup next year. And then we've got a guy from Spain named Miguel Perez Pena. He's the number two ranked player in Spain. He's a top 75 player in the ITF World Junior Rankings right now. He's won multiple ITF Junior titles. Another fantastic addition to this team. And then Matisse Debru from France, who's also, like uh, Perez Pena, won multiple singles tournaments on the ITF junior circuit. So those are a number of outstanding additions to what's already a great team, but the most exciting of all about what next year can look like for this Georgia men's tennis team is that we are only losing one player. Only one player is graduating, and that's Billy Rowe who is the graduate transfer. The entire core of this team is back. Trent Bride on court one, Tyler Zink on court two, Phil Henning on court three, Blake Croyder on court four, Eric Gravilius on court six. The core is back. And this team's been young for a while now, right? Like we were building, we were growing. Well, they're all going to be veterans now. Multiple, a couple of those guys are going to be seniors. You've got Trent, Phil, Blake will all be in their fourth years. I, could, I guess with COVID, I have the option coming back for another year after that, but they'll be in their fourth year on campus. They are veterans now. Tyler Zink will be entering his third year on campus with this program. So when you look at that, the entire core is coming back. We're adding in some highly talented young prospects to the mix, some really good transfer options. That's going to make for some outstanding battles for playing time, like some intense battles for who's going to be in the singles lineup, who's going to be in the doubles lineup, and that's going to make us better. Competition brings the best out of these players. I truly believe that. As Kirby always says, not that Kirby invented the saying, but iron sharpens iron, guys. I'm a big believer in that. And I just think this team is going to be loaded next year. We were good this year. We made a run to the Elite Eight with one senior on the team, dealing with multiple significant injuries throughout the season, COVID issues, all of that, and we still found a way to fight back and make it all the way to the Elite Eight. Just think about how good this team can be next year with what's coming back, plus all those really highly talented prospects coming in to add to the mix. So, I'm really excited about what the guys have coming back, but as excited as I am for what the guys are returning and their prospects for next season, I am just as excited for the women's team, who I think might actually have a chance to be even better next year. I know some of you are probably listening right now saying, huh, what? How can it be better? How can you lose Katarina Jokic, one of the best players in Georgia women's tennis history, and be better next year? How can you possibly do that? Like, and I get that. It's hard to say that your team has a chance to be even better when you lose an all-timer like Katarina Jokic and then two incredible fifth-year seniors in Martin and Elena. But man, like it just may be the case next year. It might just be the case. Just hear me out here. We return three of our top four singles players. Meg Kowal, Leah Miles, or Leah, Leah on court two, Meg on court three, and then Mo on court four. We'll see what courts they play next year, but that's what they played this year. We also return, return two players with court one doubles experience. Ariana Arsenault played court one doubles with Cap most of this year, 
But last year, it was Anya Hurdle, our player from Poland, who played really well with Cat on court one doubles last year and actually started out the dual match season with Cat on court one, on court one in the doubles lineup before she had a little bit of a, of a health issue that she had to deal with. But she's back. She's playing now. So we have her and Ariana both with court one doubles experience. It'll be very interesting to see what the doubles lineups look like next year. But both those players are good enough to play court one. They've done it before. They've done it at a high level. And then on top of that, we add one hellacious recruiting class. I mean, guys, this recruiting class is insanely good. I don't even, I, I want to say highlighted by her, highlighted by her. But no, I can't even say it's highlighted by anybody because they're all so insanely talented. But let's start with Ziva Faulkner from, from Slovenia. Then Mel is with the Riasco Gonzalez from Ecuador. Right now, both of those girls have UTRs higher than any returning player on our team. And if you're not familiar with what a UTR is, let me just quickly explain that. A UTR, is it's kind of like it's an algorithm that gives you a real and accurate measure of a player's skill level, like how good they actually are. It's a formula, an algorithm that basically takes into account like your last 30 matches over the last year, last 12 months, and it gives you a score that's an indicator of how talented, how skilled that player actually is. So of our returning players, just let's throw this out there. Leah Ma is our highest rated returning player based on her UTR score. She Her UTR is 10.77, okay? Meg's UTR is a 10, all right? Morgan Kopic on court four, her, her UTR is a 10. Ziva Faulkner from Slovenia coming in as a true fresh next year, her UTR right now is 11.07, 11.07. Mel Riasso Gonzalez, or Mel Elizabeth Riasso Gonzalez, make sure I say that name correctly, from Ecuador. Her UTR right now is 10.93. Both of those girls are higher rated in their UTR than any returning player that we have. And guys, Leah Ma is really good. They're both rated higher than she is. Meg is really, really good, guys. Meg's lost four matches in her career. They're both rated significantly higher than Meg is. Like Katarina Jokic herself, as good as Kat is, Kat's UTR right now is 11.29. Ziva hasn't stepped foot on campus yet, 11.07. Now, is she going to end up being as good as Kat? I don't know. Is she going to be as competitive and as fiery as Kat? I don't know. That's, that's a big part of what made Kat Kat is that, yeah, super talented, but Kat just refused to lose. Kat had that competitive fire, man. And I'm a big believer in the idea that that's really important. So I don't know. Like I, I've never seen Ziva play. So I, I don't know if she has that, but man, she's really skilled. Same thing for Mel. And I, here's another, I'll give you another frame of reference here. Estela Perez Moriba, who won the, the last women's single title back in 2019. She actually beat Kat in that final match in the, in the finals, the NCAA singles tournament. She's really, really good. Her UTR, guys, is 11.11 right now. Ziva Faulkner, incoming true freshman, 11.07. Essentially the same thing. Mel Elizabeth Rasco-Gonzalez, 10.93. I mean, both those girls, Ziva and Mel, are they've been playing pro tournaments and beating players with higher UTRs than anyone that they will play in college. Just go look at just go look at their their records. You'll see that. And then throw in, I, I hate to say throw in. No, not even throw in. She, she's not a throw in. She's just as good. Guillermina Grant Ruiz from Uruguay. It says she has a UTR of 10, but that to me is very misleading because she uh, has a, a career high in the ITF World Junior Rings of number 31. Riaz Gonzalez has a career high of 20 in the ITF World Juniors ranking. So they're not that far apart. So I, it just doesn't seem that a UTR of 10 is exactly accurate right now 
for Guillermina Grant Ruiz. She hasn't played a tournament in a while, I think since like October, November, so maybe that factors into it right now. But regardless, she is extraordinarily talented. She's one of the top juniors in the entire world. So even if we do lose, even though we are losing Kat, and that's it's almost impossible to replace her, right? And I don't know if we'll have a player on court one that was as good or as dominant as Kat. We, chances are probably not. She was that good. But it, regardless, if you look at the overall talent that we're bringing in, I think it's an overall upgrade in talent, even though we are losing Kat. As crazy as that may sound, if you look at who we're bringing in, guys, again, I go back. Zia Faulkner, 11.07 UTR right now, has a step foot on campus. Hadn't gotten with our outstanding group of coaches. And that's basically all, like almost the exact same UTR as the defending NCAA women's singles champion, Estella Perez Moriba. That's crazy. That's crazy. So even though things didn't end the way we won, wanted them to this season, and as fun as this ride has been, the future for both of our tennis programs is as bright as it has been in quite a while. And it might be even more of a fun ride in the next couple of years. And of course, we will be here to cover it all for you guys next season. Again, thank you guys for sticking with me throughout this tennis season. I really did have a blast covering all this for you guys. I really enjoyed the interaction with some of you on social media, through email, talking about Georgia tennis. And I'm really glad that we were able to get a couple of you guys into these programs. And I hope if you haven't gotten a chance, I know we've still had some COVID things going on this year, but if you've never had a chance to make out to a match, Put that at the top of your list of things to do in 2022. I promise you, you won't regret it. One match is all it takes. I'm telling you, if you get out there for one match, you're going to be hooked, especially if it's the right match. Like Come out for the Florida match or whatever big match it is, and there is no turning back from there. And before I get out of here, I do have to put this out there for you guys. I know the team portion of the NCAA tournament is over now, but we still have the singles and doubles tournaments going on, and it was a great day for Georgia women's players. We had three players in the singles draw. We had Leah Ma, Katarina Jokic, and Meg Kowalski. They all three won their first round matches. They all put, all three play in the second round tomorrow. Meg kick thing, kicks things off against Katarina Kozarov, who I had a chance to see play here in the first round of the NCAA tournament in Athens a couple of weeks ago. She plays for Furman. That girl is legit, man. That's a tough draw for Meg. Meg actually beat McKenna Jones. who used to play court one for North Carolina a couple of years ago. And uh, Meg really made, I don't want to say short worker, but kind of did. 6-2, 6-2, that was a huge win for Meg. Really impressive. But Kozarov's going to be another challenge tomorrow. That's going to be tough, man. That's a really tough draw for Meg. But if she can get by Kozarov, well, then she has Emma Navarro. That's going to be tough. That's just a crazy draw for Meg. But she kicks things off early in the morning at 10 a.m. So it won't be hot yet. Well, it'll be hot, but just not as hot as it will get. And then we've got Kat playing... I don't know how to pronounce this girl's name. Janice Tim, I'm going to go with, from Oregon, who's number 17 in the country. Cat uh, is playing at 11 a.m. in Orlando. And then Leah Ma is playing the number one play, number one ranked player in the country. I don't think she's the best player in the country. She's really good. I think there are other players that I've seen that are better. But Sarah Davitia from North Carolina. Leah's got a matchup with her at noon tomorrow. So, man, that's going to be awesome. Like Leah's, like, Leah's obviously the underdog there, but if Leah plays really well, she's got a chance to win. I think she has a chance to win that match. We'll see. She's certainly not the favorite, but it'll be fun to watch. There's, there's more Georgia tennis to be watched, guys. And that, you can find all those matches on the Tennis One app. It's not the greatest app ever, but you can watch those matches. Keep up with them there if you're looking for something to do tomorrow afternoon. Unfortunately, we did have three guys in the singles draw as well. They all three lost. They Trent Bride, Phil Hitting, and Tyler Zink. They all lost. 
that's unfortunate. We did the doubles also start tomorrow. I don't have that right in front of me what time those matches are. But we'll uh, we'll be keeping up with that. So follow us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. We'll keep you up to the breast of what's going on. You can also just follow the, the women's tennis account. They usually do a pretty good job of keeping you guys updated with what's going on. So best of luck to all of our tennis players tomorrow. Singles, doubles, whatever it is. Hopefully we'll have a great day tomorrow. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>